welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. What is right and what is wrong when it comes to the way members of the Electoral College vote? There are laws prohibiting members of the Electoral College from voting their conscience rather than the presidential candidate who won their state. But the Electoral College is a sore topic for a lot of people after recent conflicts between the popular and electoral vote, and this appears to be headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Joining us now is Bloomberg Law Supreme Court reporter Kimberly Robinson to help us understand how our electoral process works, Kimberly. On the one hand, we've got a federal appeals court that says states can't remove presidential electors for rogue votes. And now a federal appellate ruling that splits that and says faithless electors can be sanctioned. Well, that's right. And so that's significant because um, while the those rulings affect only those particular states, it sets up a clash that could be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court to affect all of the states um, where these laws are in effect. Well, is is this sort of piecemeal now? I I sense that this is a, a, a state by state question or maybe not. Well, it can proceed that way. Often the way that these uh, disputes land in the Supreme Court is if the lower courts do tend to disagree on an issue. So the thinking that goes that if every court to uh, look at this issue agrees, then there's no reason for the Supreme Court uh, typically to step in. But it's when you have these splits among the lower courts that it might be time for the justices to get involved. Okay. Now, so far... Uh, None of these sort of rogue voters have really swayed the outcome of an election? Not a presidential election. Um, There has been on the vice president, but that was a long, long time ago. And it is important to emphasize that so far, this hasn't really been a a big problem. There's been fewer than 170 of these so-called faithless electors in our history. Um, But we did see a, a large number of them in the presidential election of 2016, and we could expect to see more of them as uh, discontent with the Electoral College grows. Now, when they went their own way, so to speak, uh, did they, uh, any of them argue that they, they had the right to, or did, did they realize that they were perhaps breaking the law? Well, that that's very much the issue. And so um, these individuals who are the electors say that um, they may have pledged to vote for a certain individual, but until they do actually make their vote, they're entitled to change that vote uh, contrary to state law. Um, it's not always a state law. Sometimes it's a uh, personal oath that they that they make. Um, and so, you know, the issue really varies uh, state by state. But the idea of whether or not it's true that they must be bound by whatever law it is, um, it, it was one that will be common uh, if the Supreme Court decides to take up the issue. Do me a favor and take me back to civics class here <laughs> a, a little bit uh, and explain to me how the popular vote for president and vice president uh, is actually a vote for this slate of electors. Right. So uh, the popular vote is really picking who are going 
who your electors are going to be voting for or who those electors are going to be, depending on which state you're in. There are about 538, well, not about, there are 538 electors, um, which generally follow about the number of delegates and um, from each congressional delegation in the states, plus a couple more for Washington, D.C., And, you know, in most places, uh, the winner of the popular vote in that state will get all of the votes from the electors in that state, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Um, But that's how the popular vote actually plays into the election of a president. They're not voting directly. They're voting for the slate of electors, as you said. Now, I note in in your story uh, on the terminal uh, a line that says, more than half of the states and D.C. have laws requiring electors to vote a certain way. Uh, how, how is it that some do and some don't? Well, so the Constitution uh, generally leaves it up to the states to decide how it is that they want to set up the election for federal office. Now, Congress can step in and say, oh, no, you've got it all wrong, but they haven't so far on the Electoral College. And so that's why we see um, the difference between some states requiring um, that that their electors vote this way and other states um, requiring an oath or having that be the general practice. Wouldn't you think there would be one rule, though, for an entire presidential election that, uh, you know, you guys got to stick by this or you don't? Well, you know, you would think uh, that might be the case, but that's not the way that the framers set up the Constitution. Um, as I said, they, they said that Congress can kind of have a veto over the laws that the individual states put in place for federal elections, but usually it's left to the states. And that's why we see not just different rules with regard to the Electoral College, but different rules with regard to registration of voting or voter IDs or all these other issues that are cropping up um, state by state. So um, while it may seem like we have one presidential election, we really have a lot of mini elections going on. And what happened in 2016 was that some of these electors uh, went rogue, if you will, and were basically removed from office and their votes were canceled? Well, it, it again, it really varies state by state um, because of these different rules. So um, in the case uh, that was most recently decided out of Colorado, that's what happened. The individual elector uh, was removed from office before they could cast their votes. And other electors who said that they didn't want to vote for the popular winner uh, in Colorado, who at that time was Hillary Clinton, um, said that they were scared that they would be removed from office. And so they went ahead and voted the way that they had pledged. In the case that went the other way out of Washington, their their votes were actually counted. And so the Electoral College didn't go, uh, you know, to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton alone. There were some others in there, which is unusual. Um, But what happened there was that they were fined each $1,000 and the state Supreme Court upheld that. So, again, it really varies state by state. But ultimately, what's at issue is whether or not these individuals are allowed to vote their conscience or whether they must follow the results of the popular election. I need to switch topics here and ask you uh, a little bit about uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what we know about uh, uh, how well she's she's functioning at the moment. Uh, have, have we seen her in public? Well, you know, the Supreme Court during the summertime is uh, kind of a unique institution in that uh, they take a summer break. So uh, we don't we haven't seen as much as Justice Ginsburg um, as we have whenever uh 
the court is in session, which is usually from October to uh, the end of June. Um, she has been out and about. Uh, I saw her just last month at an event where she um, talked for a couple of hours um, in a Q&A with prospective law students. Um, so we haven't seen her as much, but that's not um, unusual during the summertime. Bloomberg Law Supreme Court reporter Kimberly Robinson, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.